0: You're listening to a sermon by New Hill Church. We pray this message helps you put Jesus into perspective. If you have any questions about this message or a relationship with Jesus, email us at engage at newhilloh.com. Good morning, Church. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Great. Me, when I get head colds, I just start to forget things. So I'm um, not looking forward to my future. They say when you get older, you, you begin to forget more. So if I'm old and I'm sick, I'm sure I'm going to forget so many things that like I might get up here and say, Hey, my name's Gary Fox. Uh, my wife's waving her hands uh, so I don't forget the kids. Uh, elementary age kids, if you guys would, go ahead and stand up. You're going to go down to your class. You guys, by the way, are called climbers. You guys won't be climbing downstairs, but you will be learning about Jesus climbing your way. Um, to uh, spiritual growth and just learning about Jesus and who he is. So if you're an elementary age student, stand up. Look at Aubrey. She's back there touching her head and waving. You follow her. She'll take you downstairs uh, so you guys can go enjoy some class time together. Church, I'm excited to, to be here with you all um, this morning to get to worship with you guys and to just get to celebrate what God's doing in our lives and in through us and in and through our church we got uh, a lot of people um, out. we got some people celebrating anniversaries. we got some people uh, down with the sickness. Um, they're not really down with it, but they're actually down because of it. Um, and then we've got uh, John and, and some folks. He took the uh, other half of the Fox family up to Brunswick Community Church to fill in for um, Buck uh, Wilford. I don't know if you guys have ever met him, but he's a church planter up in Brunswick. So John is filling the pulpit. He said, hey, I'm going to just bring one of our singers uh, with us too, and we're going to hit it acapella, so they're getting a little bit of New Hill Church this morning where they are. So we're excited to be able to send people. We're excited to get to keep people home, too, if they're sick. Um, I've got a little bit of a head cold, um, but not sick enough to keep me down. Uh, so I hope you guys just stay healthy and safe um, in these winter months. It seems like we're finally turning to uh, winter time. Church, I'm just really, I'm pumped. This series has just been, we're kicking off in the series. We're in our third week now. It's called Resurgence, right? It's the book of Nehemiah. You guys know we love expository preaching. We we love going verse by verse, book by book, right? We've gone through the Gospel of John. We've gone through Ephesians, Esther, Haggai. Um, Those are two books that we felt like were really great to tackle, actually benefited us um, in the time that we were in when we went through them. And we're also just really um, edifying moments for us as believers, at least for me anyways, because these are books that are often overlooked and not preached. Esther didn't even mention God. Um, And this is uh, a time... Um, same time period as what we're reading right now in, in Nehemiah, that same time period where Esther is focusing on the Jews that stayed back instead of going back to Jerusalem to begin rebuilding the walls and the temple. And and what we we saw there was that even though you didn't see the name of God mentioned in the book of Esther, which is the only book that doesn't mention God, you saw the hand of God, right? And really what we're seeing here in, in Nehemiah as we begin this resurgence is that God is is already... An eternity ahead of them, but literally steps ahead of them. Every time Nehemiah goes to do something, it's like God is providing. God's beginning to, he, he breaks Nehemiah, right? Um, we were in week one. We talked about how brokenness breaks us. And he gets this report that that Jerusalem's walls were down, that they the people hadn't been really worshiping. There was a temple, but but the walls were down, so everybody's just kind of getting comfy. Haggai challenges um, the people not to be comfy, to get out of your comfort zone. Week 2 in Nehemiah, this is just chapter 1 alone, week 1 and week 2. Week 2 last week, we talked about how we must rely on our faithful Redeemer for spiritual resurgence, which is really this whole series is this resurgence. And what we, when, we, when we read and we, we see the book of Nehemiah, it's not just about a wall, right? This isn't a political campaign to, to make Jerusalem great again. It's not, hey, we need to build this wall because uh, we need to protect our borders. It was We need to protect the place where we worship God. We need to protect the people of God so that we can worship God, as Gary said, in spirit and in truth. And that was a concept that they didn't have then, but we have now. And what we need to begin to do is is have this spiritual resurgence or revival amongst ourselves today, knowing that we can worship God and should worship God in spirit and in truth. Amen, church? Paul and and really the entire Bible talk about this idea that, that God blesses His people abundantly. And then Charles Spurgeon really pieces that together when he says, your will will happen when you are following God's will. And when we look at at Nehemiah, we shouldn't be upset when when some of our life just doesn't come together, it doesn't seem to just play out the way it did for Nehemiah. Nehemiah was pursuing the will of God, not his very own will. And that's what we're going to understand and see today, church. If you guys would, go ahead and open up your Bibles to Nehemiah 2. We're going to be picking up in verse 1. Actually, I'm going to jump back to uh, Nehemiah 1, just the very end of verse 11. When we start this off, if you guys don't have a physical copy of the Bible, you can find one back on the bar beside that big box that says Offering. That's our gift to you. Also, you should have your ESV scripture journals. Does anybody have their scripture journal? And want to raise it up for me? Yep. Oh, I love it. I thought maybe I'd see one. We've got them all around. So that's our gift to you as well. If you didn't get one, they're on the cart. Um, grab one when you leave. We just want you guys to be encouraged to take notes as you're reading through your Bible. Sometimes we don't like to take notes in our, our beautiful church Bible, right? We we think like, man, that just needs to stay clean, and I've got my journaling Bibles. Just take one of those scripture journals. Again, that's our gift to you. Write down questions that you have. Ask those in group. Uh, message us. You can email us, whatever, so that we can help you grow in your faith. Verse 11 picks up there at the, just the very end of chapter 1. Now I was cupbearer to the king. In the month of Nisan, and the twentieth year of King... King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing that you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, Why are you, or what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, "If it pleases the king, let letters be given to me. Um, let letters be given to the governor, sorry, of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall occupy." And the king granted me what I had requested for the good hand of my God. Was upon me. That's the word of God this morning, church. Let's be in an attitude of prayer. Father, we thank you for this time that we could gather together. In your presence, Lord, I pray that that you would receive our joyful noise, God, that you would you would begin to work and move in our hearts as you already have, even when we woke up this morning, God, as you were drawing your people together to not forsake the the gathering. God, and in this time, I pray that this wouldn't just be one of those positive pick-me-up messages, but God, this would be a message rooted in your word. God, that your words would go forth, not my own. God, I pray that you would jump off the pages at us to show us ways and areas we in our own life must begin to leverage the gospel. God, that we would, we would leverage our position for the gospel in a way that, that we aren't... S- We aren't preaching our own message, God, but we are using the influence that we've been given in this life to to show people the beauty of the gospel, even in this this broken nature, even in, in our flesh, God, that people would see Your grace and see that it abounds. God, I pray that You would be with us in this time, that You would encourage us, and God, that we would continue together working towards this spiritual resurgence that can only be led by You, our Lord. Pray that you would lead the way, God, that we would faithfully follow. You would convict us in areas that we need to be convicted to get us out of our comfort zone. And God, I pray that we together would celebrate that which is good. Lord, Father, we love you, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So the main point today, what we're going to be talking about, our main point, again, week one was brokenness breaks us, right? We see the brokenness... Um, of the world, we see the brokenness in in our brothers and sisters' lives. We see the brokenness within the church, and that should break us, right? That doesn't make us feel good. Like literally, we look out and we know that people are going to hell, and that breaks us, right? If that doesn't break us, then that that should begin to break. Like this message should break you because that's something that is it, that we are called to to be uncomfortable with. It shouldn't make us feel like just sitting down and saying, "Oh man, I don't know what we're going to do about that." But then week two showed us what Nehemiah began to do in his prayer was rely on the faithful Redeemer to lead this spiritual resurgence. And that's what we are going to do, but what Nehemiah begins to do about this problem is leverage his position for the gospel. So church, what we need to do is leverage our position for the gospel. Leverage your position for the gospel. And to leverage your position for the gospel, you must first know that you have influence. You have an influence, right? You may not realize it, but you have influence over somebody in their life. We live in a a very interesting time now where there's all kinds of influencers. If you talk to companies, there's a a ton of influencer programs. Um, If you're interested in hearing about that, you can talk to to Aubrey, my wife, and and Krissa, my sister-in-law. They get free stuff from companies all the time because they have influence over people on social media. It's crazy. You can can talk to Amazon now has uh, an influence program where they they work with you because advertising is changing, right? Marketing is changing. They understand that that people are starting to step up and speak out. People are getting really good and creative at creating content. So they're like, "Hey, you've got influence. Let's not put 100 grand into like this awesome commercial that we can play, but here, let me give this this product to you and you can go and display it and you're going to make people want to buy it." We aren't selling the gospel church, but we are sharing the gospel and we have influence over those around us, you have influence. And this could be a weakness for you to simply grasp, right? A lot of us, we have, we have doubt in ourselves, we don't believe in ourselves. And don't, don't get me wrong, you shouldn't have a, a high position of yourself, right? This thought of your, yourself being more high than someone else. The Bible says don't let yourself tell, self think of yourself more highly than you ought to. But don't let your doubt lead you to believe that people aren't listening to you. And if you believe that, say something wrong, and they'll throw it in your face. People are listening. Everyone's influence looks different and reaches differently, but we all have it. For example, my wife and I, um, with Maylee, right? It can be the same person sharing the same thing, but your influence can change based on the situation. So Maylee and I, we've been, we've been cooking a little bit more in the kitchen. You guys are like, I already know where this is going, because I've never seen you cook in your life. I've, I've been getting into cooking with Maylee. Maylee's cooked with her mom for a little while now. And I remember telling Maylee, I was like, all right, that needs to go in now. And she said, oh, it doesn't. I'm like, look, trying to have some influence over you. Yes, I'm your dad. Look, the Bible says you need to honor me, all right? Put the salt in there. We're going to put the salt in now. And then Arby comes in, and she says, hey, Maylee, you do need to put the salt in. And Maylee immediately dunk, dunks it in. I'm like, how do you have this influence over her, right? And it's because Aubrey has spent time specifically cooking with her, where where she's built this trust with Maylee, where Maylee's tasted the goodness of Aubrey's cooking, and she's like, I trust her, right? I trust what she's telling me. I trust Mom. Dad, I trust you. But it's usually with like wrestling and and just fighting and, and slap fights that we get into, right? But cooking is not one of those things. But we, church, you, you do have influence. So begin to look for those areas. And Nehemiah's influence specifically starts in chapter 1, verse 11. Now, I was cupbearer to the king. Now, I was cupbearer to the king. Don't let the most simple sentences go in one ear and out the other, right? That's what we do. We look at that and we're like, all right, Nehemiah was a cupbearer. Who cares? Who really cares about that? It's just, it just seems like a simple sentence. That was his job, all right? He got paid for it. got some W-2s at the end of the year to see how much... He paid back into the system because of it. See, church, we love to attempt to dissect the complex verses while overlooking the most simple statements as if they have no significance. This statement now is cupbearer to the king carried much significance and actually teaches us the kind of influence that Nehemiah had, not over just people, but over the king who had influence over all the people. So Nehemiah's position was almost greater than the king's because he could influence the king because he was the king's cupbearer. This is not a simple statement to be overlooked. This is crucially important to understand exactly what is going on. You see, cupbearers for the king would test his wine before giving it to the king. Right? That's a serious job. To to test, oh, king, you want some wine here? Let me me try it first. He he takes it and then he, he gives it to the king. He's like, it's good. I didn't fall over. I'm not dead. There you go. Drink it, king. You're good. To have this position required trust from the king. Why? Because people could take an a, a attempt to attack the king, to kill him, put a little poison in it. We've all seen it in our, our fairy tale movies, right, where we see like the king, he put a little bit, the apple, right, and it was, it was bad. All these things that could have gone wrong. You have to have trust in them. I can tell you right now, if, if I handed, if you guys don't know Pastor Gary, Pastor Gary loves some Diet Mountain Dew, right? Yep, <laughs> he loves that. He loves some Diet Mountain Dew. But I have a feeling that we we play around too much. That if I gave Gary a Diet Mountain Dew and in, in a bottle, he just would not trust it. Right? There's just something he's like. I, there's just something about you, Michael, that I don't trust. That's this position. The position that Nehemiah is in is that if the king doesn't trust him, then Nehemiah is gone. Right? He's going to be executed. Something's going to happen. If you can't trust your cupbearer, then you're in big trouble. Right? So you have to trust people to bring you good sweets, to bring you something good. Once upon a time, my wife was sweet. She's not up here right now. Once upon a time, she was sweet. And then she went and got me some golden Oreos, right? Not double stuffed, just some nice golden Oreos. Yes, I love those so much. It's one of my favorite treats. She brought me this plate. I'm like, it's really weird, because I don't eat by the plate of Oreos, right? I eat by the row of Oreos, right? <laughs> She brought me these, and I said, man, that looks so good. I'm playing my video games. Just going to town. It's a Saturday. We're both off. And just reach to grab one. And I bit into it, and I heard a chuckle in the kitchen. I'm like, come on. Toothpaste? It was toothpaste. She put toothpaste on it. Right? So this this is seriously... So jokes aside, Nehemiah was trusted by the king to not pull a toothpaste, mean, evil wife kind of prank. Look, men, we don't do that to you guys. We throw like flour on you while you're in the shower, but like messing with someone's food is a serious violation of, of trust. And, and, and honestly, the king, the king could have been attacked. Could have, they could have gone after him to assassinate him, right? To, to kill him, to poison him. So Nehemiah was trusted by the king to make sure that his wine was good and safe. They trusted and respected one another. You see, church, Nehemiah had influence over all the people because he had influence over the king, This is truly amazing. Nehemiah could have been down on himself thinking, I'm a servant. I don't don't like being the lowly servant who's just taking care of the king. I want to be the king. These folks literally, servants, cupbearers, had to cover their mouth when they were addressing the king so that their their bad um, odor from their mouth, right? Their, their awful smell coming from their mouth, like a lot of us have after drinking coffee and everything, right? You guys have been around me, probably wish I covered my mouth. They literally had to do that to not displease the king. Here you go, king, here's your wine. He could have been down on himself because he couldn't even speak with a, a full sounding voice so as not to displease the king with his bad breath. He also couldn't show his emotions while serving the king, which we're going to see here in just a minute. See, church, we love to show our emotion at work, right? We love to get down, like try and tell our boss, like, man, it's like really rough. As if like that's gonna like get us out of work for the day, right? I'm just like really beat down. But Nehemiah did as he needed to do, and he gained influence because of it. And church, after we accept the fact that we do have influence, can I get an amen? You guys have influence over people around you. And that's not. That's not to be used for your own personal gain. That's to, to leverage your position for the gospel. So after you accept the fact that you do have influence, you've got to take the opportunity. That's the second point in this, right? If we're going to leverage our position for the gospel, we need to know that we have influence, and then we've got to take the opportunity that has been given to us. See, too often we find ourselves wishing doors would open. Hoping things would get done when we simply need to see the door is busted wide open in front of us. That's what we do. We we think that we need to go this way around, and God's like, the door is right there. So we we not only should we just we should pray for the door to be open, but open our eyes and see that many doors have already been opened. Verse one of chapter two, in the month of Nisan. In the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence before. So we were talking about this um, just a second ago, of, of how he had to hide his emotions, how he wasn't emotional in front of the king. He didn't, he didn't come in to work with like all this baggage. right? He came in to serve the king and just serve the king. So when it tells us the month, it, it's, it's showing us that this is the month of April, which means... There has been four months that have passed by from chapter 1 to chapter 2. This is crucially important to understand really kind of where Nehemiah is coming from and what's been done and what he's been doing in that time. So about four months have passed since Nehemiah has received that report that Jerusalem's walls are broken down and the gates are destroyed by fire. Four months. Four months, church. And don't, don't forget, 150 years total has gone by that these walls have been down. And then four months has passed, and Nehemiah, just imagine how broken he was about what has happened. So in that four months, just the, the agony you have to be in, like just thinking about your brothers and sisters back in Jerusalem, not worshiping God because they don't feel safe, they're not comfortable, and they're actually too comfortable because they don't want to do what God has called them to do. And this is breaking Nehemiah. Four months has passed by. And a few things could be the reasoning behind it taking four months for him to make a move. One, the king could have been a, another residence; They had quite a few. I don't know about you guys, but we know people here in the United States that have several houses, right? Especially here in Northeast Ohio, I'm finding more and more people have what we call Florida homes in the winter, right? Love to be in Ohio during the summer, but it gets too cold about this time of the year. We're going to head south, right? The birds take off, and so do um, some of the other folks. There's not about this life up here. And the cold bearing through it. So the king could have been gone at another one of his residents. Nehemiah, Nehemiah could have been looking for the right opportunity or mood from the king. You guys know, like, when you, like, you're seeking the right opportunity to ask what you need to ask, right? Like, even, like you're back when you're a kid and, and you're trying to think, like, man, like, when can I ask my mom and dad um, if I can go over to my friend's house? And then you're an adult and you're at work and you're like, I need that week off and you're like, your boss is in a bad mood, and you're like, now's not the time to, to really ask him. So Nehemiah could have been waiting for the right opportunity and mood from the king because he wasn't allowed to show his emotion. Approaching the king and asking such a request could have meant Nehemiah's demise, that he could have been killed. Nehemiah could have faced his life, so that's another reason he waited. Could have, he could have feared for his life for asking such a thing. You see, this is the same king that shut down the project to begin with. We read in, in Ezra, you get to like chapters anywhere between 6 and 8. I don't have it written down. Right in there, you're going to see that this same king is the one who said, all right, put it to an end. And it wasn't just him. He had letters written to him. He had people coming to him and saying, this is what they're trying to do, which was false information. So then King Artaxerxes, he, he shuts it down. He's like, forget that project. Stop it. So Nehemiah is not going to a, a king with a fresh or a, a new fresh memory, right? He's going to the same king that shut this project down. And he's about to ask that king to resurge the project. Actually, he's not just going to ask him if he can go back and do the project. He's going to ask him to to supply the money and everything for the project. It's an extra step. Take the opportunity, church. Verse 2. And the king said to me, so he sees that Nehemiah sad. right? Why is your face sad, seeing that you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. Then Nehemiah was afraid. You see, the king sees the sadness on the face of Nehemiah. Actually, the king is even able to recognize that Nehemiah isn't sick, that he's simply just being sad. This is sadness of the heart. I don't see that you're sick. You don't look pale, right? You're not puking your guts out. As I mentioned before, church, this was a big no-no. The king had plenty to worry about that he didn't need a servant spilling their problems on his lap or having them moping around his court. Esther 4, verses 1 and 2 shows us in the very same place. Different times, same place, not too far apart. You see, it says in Esther 4, verses 1 and 2, when Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes. So this is him mourning, right? That's what it means. When someone puts on sackcloth and ashes, they're mourning. And he went out into the midst of the city, and he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went up to the entrance of the king's gate, for no one was allowed to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. Huge issue. You cannot mourn in the king's presence, right? That's like me with Maile. I'm like, Maile, I don't need your whining right now, right? And you go back up to your room, and when you're done whining, then you can come down. Dad, dad's a busy man, right? We, we're just like, I don't have time for that right now. And I'm joking with you guys, right? I love to, to hold my daughter. But the kings were very serious about this. I don't have time for you to bring your problems into my midst, into my courts, right? So the king takes notice of Nehemiah's sadness, and because Nehemiah had influence, he's able to begin seizing the moment, taking the opportunity because he had influence over this king. It says, then I was very much afraid. As I stated, Nehemiah could have been putting his head on a platter for the king. There was a literal structure to how things were to be done, and now Nehemiah was in the spotlight under a microscope. That moment of the unknown. That moment that you you know what could happen, but inevitably you don't know what will happen. I could be killed. I've seen, seen guys come in here and get killed over these same things. But the Lord finds favor. I've been praying. I've been praying for four months. This could go well, but I don't know. We hate not knowing. The only... So, anyways, Nehemiah, he could have been afraid also of, of screwing up the opportunity. You guys know that feeling when, when you don't know like if you're going to do what you need to do. You think like maybe the end result could be okay, but you're going to trip and fall before you even get to that moment. Nehemiah could have been afraid of this. Nehemiah knows what is at hand. Jerusalem is susceptible to another attack. God's people, God's people are not properly worshiping God and have no place to do so because they, they feel defenseless. See, this is everything. this everything about this is selfless from Nehemiah because he's focused in on God. Nehemiah could have remained high, like highly comfortable in his position, serving the king. He could have carried on to his day-to-day routine. Nehemiah could have simply told the king, "I'm fine, good sir, I'm not sad. Sorry for for my emotions, I'm good. But what comes out next proceeds from from Nehemiah's mouth out of a bold faith ready to take the opportunity. Verse 3, I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire? His cry was a common one, church. Let the king live forever. Everyone knows that no one will live forever. Do we understand that? But this is a sign of loyalty. Important. He is not worshiping this king. He knows that King Artaxerxes is is not a man or anyone to be worshiped other than God. Right? God is the one who deserves the praise and the glory, the honor. But when he says this, this this is honoring him. This is showing his loyalty to the king as his servant. Let the king live forever. This is key to Nehemiah's defense that he is loyal to the king in his service as cupbearer. Remember how Nehemiah's face apparently looks sad but not sick? Right? Sad but not sick. It's like that kid, you know, like those kids when they've done something wrong, they walk around and like, their face is just guilty. Like, there's something on your mind, something on your chest. And even though Nehemiah has not done anything wrong, he's walking around with this guilty kid face, right? Where it's just like you see something's just bothering him. And I remember my parents used to do this to me when I was a kid. And I, I couldn't hide it at all, right? I wore my emotion on my sleeve. I wore everything, like, just, it was all out there, right? And my mom would be like, what'd you do? And I'd be like, how'd you know, right? How'd you know that? She's like, your face, Michael. I'm not like a psychic, but your face. You obviously look sad. That's exactly what has happened here. Nehemiah says this to reassure the king that he's done nothing to betray him. He doesn't have a plan to betray him. Long live the king. My loyalty is with you, brother. However, he seizes the opportunity to share his heart. Why shouldn't I be sad? Why shouldn't I be sad? he says. Why, why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, which is important because they respected the dead, those who had gone before them, right? A lot of times we, we dump people in the ground and that's it. Their history's gone, done. We read about them on Ancestry.com, but that's it. This was crucial to him seizing the moment. This was crucial for him taking the opportunity because the king understood his heartbreak that the city where his ancestors lay is in ruins. That it's destroyed. It, it's not a place of beauty. It's not a place where they can be remembered for their past. Lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Notice he doesn't like point the finger like, remember what you did? You, you let them do that to us. He doesn't take that opportunity to, to be vengeful, right? To, to seek Vengeance. Takes this opportunity to share his heart and tell him what needs to be done, verse four. Then the king said to me, "What are you requesting?" So I prayed to the God of heaven. The king's like, "All right, Nehemiah, man, like, I'm letting you speak up. What are you requesting? I hear your heart, man. What do you need?" And then he goes to God and pray, church. We, we will never spe- see spiritual revival when we only see brokenness and then try and go conquer things on our own, right? We have influence, but that influence will not matter. It won't have a gospel significance, right? A kingdom significance where people are coming to know the king of all kings to enter into his kingdom for eternity if we do not let God lead the way. So he goes to God in prayer. It's like four months have gone by. We're getting this done today, God. God. Praise to the God of heaven. And I said to the king in verse 5, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, How long will you be gone, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I would given him a time. The king's questioning of when he'd be back was a sign of trust and care. Right? You know how like embarrassing it would be if you're like, hey, I'm gonna like go to California for a little bit to your boss, right? There's this other job opportunity. I just need to get something done. Um, is that okay? And they're like, yeah, it's fine. We don't need you anyways, right? That that doesn't make you feel good. But this shows that Nehemiah actually meant something to the king. That the king inquires about when he's gonna go, how long he'll be gone, and and will you be back? This is this is one of his best guys. And then I love, I love the detail where it says that the queen is sitting beside him. Come on, let's be real for a minute. The women keep us kind of like our head leveled out for a little bit. The king probably was thinking like, no, like you always bring me the best wine. You always keep me merry and chipper, right? And the queen's like, come on. Like, he just said like, where is his father's like graves lying in ruins? Like if you read any commentary, that's exactly what they'll tell you about this piece is They try and break down and like, why was the queen there and what did it mean? Was this a public event? Was it a private event? And all of them say, women, keep us level-headed. And you actually read about that in Esther, the same thing where the queen, Esther, had influence over the king in areas where the queens were supposed to be quiet. Nehemiah seeks this opportunity and the hand of God is all over it. How long will you be gone? And so it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. Nehemiah was ready. He had all the details marked out because he was prepared. And that's the next thing that we need to look at is be prepared. Church, if if we want to leverage our position for the gospel, for the good news of Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross for us, then we need to know we have influence, we need to take the opportunity, and we need to be prepared when the opportunity comes. There is nothing worse than feeling and being ill-prepared. Vacation this past summer, we took off for Cape Cod. We were recording this video. Uh, it was actually a gender announcement for forever. Uh, in case you guys didn't know, we had a baby girl. The video I didn't get was, it's a girl, um, because when we got there, the battery ran out on our drone, and I said, it's okay, let me charge it for a little bit. And I'm looking through the bag, I'm looking through the bag, what do you buy a drone for if you don't bring the charger when you go on vacation once every three years so you can go and see great white sharks off the coast of Cape Cod? This was a complete disaster for me because I was ill-prepared. And I felt miserable in that time. And, and we can even think about those times when we go to share the gospel, when we look to leverage the position, right? We see the opportunity it comes, and then we don't feel prepared, so we remain silent. And that is not what we're called to do. And a lot of times we know that we're not prepared, so we won't seek any opportunity. And we say, I'll do that when I'm more prepared. I'll do that when I, when I know a little bit more, when I have a little bit more faith, when I'm not uh, just a year into to my faith, being a believer, I'm a young Christian right now. I'm just going to sit under you and listen to you uh, share the gospel. I'm going to sit under you and, and watch you disciple people. When Jesus has told us to get on our feet and go, Look, if the good news has changed you, then you've got something to share and you have influence and you've been given an opportunity. Be prepared. The only way you're going to do that is by being in the Word, by praying to God regularly, by being in group and doing life together. But but there's no reason for us to not be a little prepared. Nehemiah had four months Church, sometimes we sit back for four years and say, I'm still waiting to be prepared. Grab the drone battery, go buy a new one and go. How do we know he was prepared? And I said to the king, the king's done. It, it, It pleased the king, right? The king was good. I'll send you off. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me to the governors of the province, be, uh, province beyond the river that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. If Nehemiah took off and was like, hey guys, I'm going to rebuild the walls, they're like, no, we shut that project down. Right? You're not going back. These are the same, there were leaders out beyond the gates right, that Nehemiah is going to face that helped shut that project down. And Nehemiah says, please write me a letter that when I go, they're not going to stop me, they're not going to kill me, they're not going to persecute me. Let them know that I have your approval. Put your stamp of approval on it, boss. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's force, that he may give me timber. So he's asking for for this king who shut this project down before to give him the timber for this project. This is great. To make beams for the gates of the the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked. Why, church? Why? Why? For the good hand of my God was upon me. Nehemiah was not going out to do his own mission. He was doing the will of God. Nehemiah gets permission, but then he goes another step in seeking the supplies to get the job done. Church, you don't have to do it all. Just be prepared to do it when the time comes. God's given us his word. We don't have to have another word to say. You know the gospel? That's the word that people need. If we want to see a spiritual resurgence happen here in Medina today, you don't need timber. We don't need a, a church building to, to go up and say, hey, now we're an officially New Hill church. Because now we get to worship in spirit and in truth wherever we want and wherever we are at all times. If we want to see darkness push back, church, we must go with the word of God. Leave your words behind. Paul said, I didn't come with lofty speech or, or wisdom. For I desire to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He says, the king granted me, Nehemiah says, what I asked for and the, because the good hand of my God was upon me. Church, let me tell you this. The good hand, if, if you know Jesus Christ is your savior, his good hand is on you. You may not feel it, but let me tell you, if we sit silent for another four years, you will because it's going to be a smack. It's going to be a reality check because he's going to remind us that, that he is coming back one day and we need to wake up. And the most crucial thing to understand this morning is to leverage your position for the gospel because you have influence. You need to take the opportunity and be prepared. How are we going to be prepared, church? Ben, you can go ahead and come back up. How are we going to be prepared for that moment? Well, I know for me, it's by spending time with you guys. It's it's by doing life together with you guys in group. And Bible studies. We got we got a, a Bible study before service, spending time. Um, you guys spending time together down there, just seeing the, the fellowship that you guys have, not around what's going on, not around a political agenda, but around the Word of God. Bible studies, meeting and homes, right? We call them groups where we're gathering around to encourage one another, to ask the questions, and to help equip each other to go out and to share the good news. Things like our extend training, where we're literally. Teaching, Gary's gonna, Pastor Gary's going to be doing this Extend 101 class, which is to help you understand how to evangelize. To help you be prepared to, to take the opportunity and leverage your position for the gospel. By getting involved and not just sitting back and saying, wow, it, Medina looks so dark. But I'm only one light. Yeah, you are only one light. That's why we're called to do this thing together. Nehemiah didn't go and lead this force alone. What we're going to see in the upcoming weeks is that, that he met up with brothers and sisters, fellow Jews, family, ancestors, all these people. He meets up with them, and what do they begin doing? The work of God. For the good hand of their Lord was upon them. Church, we're going to sing a song. and Look, we can't get there if we don't know Jesus. We can't, we can't reach this This. Uh, preparedness that we need to have to take the opportunity and to leverage the gospel if we don't even know the gospel. So church, each and every day we need Jesus. And I want to sing that out with you guys this morning before we take off. We've got two more songs. I just want to worship Him together because, look, the spiritual resurgence starts here in your heart. Because no one else is going to see the good news if you don't have reason to celebrate the good news today. As a part of an assessment, Um, uh, is actually ordination for a guy back home a few weeks ago. And he walked in and they said, when's the last time the good news was good news to you? And he looked at him and he said, right now. And we were all laughing because he was just nervous for this ordination. So he's like, I need the good news. And I was like, you know what? We need the good news each and every day, man. And even though like we laughed because it's kind of comical, it's the most it's the most truthful thing that you could speak each and every moment of your life. That the good news is still bringing you joy today. So church, let's let's sing out. Let's, let's worship through singing. And we'll worship through giving as well because that's an act of worship. And We ask that if you're just a member or a regular attender here, if you're a believer, then you can give back at the bar. Paul says God loves a cheerful giver. And we just want to be cheerful in all of our worship. We don't just want to lift praises because churches lift up praises. We want to lift it up because God is so deserving. Father, thank You for this morning, God, that we could come together and gather around Your Word. God, that You would just continue to move in our hearts. God, that You would show us areas where we personally need to, to follow You better, to trust You more. God, I pray that we would continue to see the brokenness. God, that we would continue to be broken by that. God, that if if, if we become numb to sin around us, then we are missing the good news, we are missing the opportunity to share of Your grace and Your mercy which restores the broken. I pray, God, that we would continue to rely on You as our faithful Redeemer in the midst of this spiritual resurgence and that, God, today we would, we would begin to see the need to leverage our position because, God, you have, you have given us influence. God, You've given us plenty of ways to be prepared. It's time for us to take the opportunity, Lord. We love you, and I pray, I pray that this week, God, we wouldn't see any, um, we wouldn't be praying for more open doors, God. That we would begin to engage the open doors that are right before our eyes. So, God, please illuminate those to us. Let us see the doors that you have opened. Maybe for years they've been open, God. That we would begin to step through them and to see the spiritual resurgence begin. That people would come to know your name, and that darkness would be pushed back here in Medina. Jesus, we love you and we praise you and ask all these things in your name. Amen.